You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Sovereign Self is about individual empowerment and freedom. In exploring this sovereign self, our discussions will encompass self-love, oneness, and diverse spiritual understandings as life is a journey of expansion which never ends. Join author Martin Neil Campbell, trainer and business facilitator Karen Murphy, and spiritual archaeologist Ron Mayer as their discussions help lead their listeners into an ever-expanding journey of peace, love, joy, and freedom to become who you desire and be your sovereign self. Welcome to Sovereign Self. I'm your host, Martin Neil Campbell, and your fabulously divine and absolutely wondrous, fabulous, creative, and loving co-hosts are Ron Mayer and Karen Murphy. Say hello, guys. Hello, everybody. Welcome, folks. Yes, indeed. And on this program of Sovereign Self, the program, I think we'll title it Self-Sabotage. And the one thing about self-sabotage, and so many things we do are self-sabotaging, we are creative beings. We are creative beings to such an extent that you always have to remember that your thoughts, words, and actions, no matter what they are, do create. And one of the things we always do as a race, quite often, I shouldn't say always do, but it comes up every once in a while, that's for sure, is lay claim to our illnesses. And Ron, you put out a wonderful article this week on that. Mm-hmm. We say, as you said, it's my asthma, or it's even if it's my cancer, or it's my whatever, you lay claim to your illness. And we usually do so unconsciously. Yeah, exactly. Casually. It's just like it's a casual, automatic response. Yep. And what you think you become, we disable ourselves by doing that type of thing. It all leads to an obvious lack of self-love or understanding what self-love is mm. and, and how we should let go of self-sabotage so we love ourselves more. We have our wonderful little things of putting ourselves down, especially through humor. We're told that we are losers in so many ways, whether it's at sports, whether it's not getting good grades in school, whether it's not being able to do something. And we eventually begin to agree with the people. Oh, I was never good at that. I'm never good at that. I'll never be good at that. So you give up and you give in. But you do have to love yourself and you have to change your thoughts about who you are. And you have to definitely change your words about who you are. It also gets into things like, and we might, we'll get into some of this, obviously, is habitual behaviors and patterns. Guilt and shame come into it. It's interesting that all of these things are all self-sabotaging. We'll explain why throughout the rest of the program, we hope, in a way that uh, we understand it. And why we hope you give some thought to this so you don't self-sabotage yourselves in as many ways as you used to or get rid of them altogether. I'll be honest and right up front. I know this. I've thought about it before, but I still do it. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to get around self-sabotage. But the more you can wrap your mind and thoughts around it and recognize what you're saying and doing and how you can change that to be for your betterment, it would be wonderful. So off we go. I think I might throw out something first, guys, if that's all right. Go for it. Sure, go ahead. Okay. And I know it, it's encroaching on the article you put out there, Ron. It's happened a lot at work recently. There's been people who have had bad colds. 
okay. and they say, oh my God, I've got a horrible cold. I just, I just can't do anything. I, I, I just want to lie down and this, and of course we send them home, tell them to get better. But giving into it and saying, I have a horrible cold reinforces, because as I said, we're creative beings. Your thoughts, words, and actions create. So if you say, I have a horrible cold, or my cold is horrible, you're just reinforcing that energy to make it so and stay so in your body and in your life. Mm-hmm. And that's, I know, a hard thing for a lot of people to understand. But the one thing I'll, I'll say is that and I think a lot of our audience has heard that thought, words, and actions are creative. So when you do say something like, my cold or I have a horrible cold, it's reinforcing the illness. Mm-hmm. It's not reinforcing you getting better. Right. And it's not reinforcing that it's just a temporary thing that can leave at a moment's notice if you actually shift the other way entirely. That's my first thoughts on this. Anyone else want to throw things in? Well, that's what, you've hit on a real important thing with regards to identifying and saying what your illness is and identifying with it. My question, why do we find such satisfaction in doing so? I know I've done that, and I still do it today. That's one of the reasons why I put the article out, is just recently I've come down with another bout of bronchitis. (coughs) Just even saying it makes me want to cough. (laughs) Um, But I have a tendency, when I talk about this condition, to actually own the condition by saying, oh, my bronchitis indicating to the public that this bronchitis that I have will continue to reoccur at the same time every year. And oh, so you get it next year at the same time, right, Barb? Exactly. Oh, yes. exactly. How many people say, oh, I always get colds or flus at this time of year? At this time and they're, of year. And they're putting that out there. I always get them at this time of year. Well, guess what? Oh. The energy is going out there to make sure you do get it next year at this uh-huh. time. <laughs> it's like, oh. And even if it's not a repetitive thing, when we are starting to feel down in the tooth, you know, yeah. under the weather type of thing, there is, as I said, this odd satisfaction of identifying it in order to obtain sympathies from other people with regard mm-hmm. to being under the weather. Yes. Ah, yes. That's one of the things that could be so, as I said, addictive. And it's done on an unconscious level because we're not – if we were to truly recognize that we were under the weather – Mm-hmm. Rather than play the victim to the illness, mm-hmm. we would just tell ourselves, if we were our so- sovereign self, I'm feeling under the weather. I'm going to just take – I'm going to step back and I'm, go- I'm just going to pamper myself here. And also, Karen, I think you mentioned this at the beginning. Guilt. And forgive. Yeah. And forgive yourself for being under the weather. You are in control of your health and there is a reason why – you're feeling under the weather somewhere and it's usually it's nine, 99 times out of 100 it will be unconscious mm-hmm. there were thoughts that came in that have been tied to the condition of having a cold or bronchitis or any type of illness that when you encounter these very conditions there is the thought that comes out and rather than confront it when you first become aware of it mm. you allow it to fester don't challenge it and eventually, the thought itself, even if it's not even spoken, but the thought itself, unaltered or unchallenged, will create those very symptoms that have been habitual for you in the past. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting, you know, you mentioned that, and I, I don't know how I could have forgotten about this, but it was this morning. Mm-hmm. I got up, and I wasn't feeling well. Mm-hmm. And I was feeling so ill that I thought, well, I don't think I can go into work today. Mm-hmm. But then I looked at my calendar, and I said, no, I've got an important meeting today that I cannot miss. Mm-hmm. Because it happens once a month, and if I miss it, that's my last chance. And I have a big program and a client that I'm wanting to support, so I had to be at this meeting. So... I went on with that and I kept going, oh, I'm feeling so bad, I'm feeling so bad. And I finally literally stopped myself, pushed it away with my hand and said, no, I am not going there. I am not going to create this and moved on. Now, yes, it did keep nagging at me for the next Mm. hour or so. But after that, because I just kept putting it out of my mind and going, no, I'm going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. I am fine. This is going to disappear. It did, and I had a great day. It's interesting. I never remembered that till this instant in talking about this. <laughs> did you notice something unusual when you first decided you were going to challenge the thought? Mm. The resistance to it yeah. was an indication that to change this, at this point in your right. low feeling, there was no satisfaction in trying to challenge that. It no, was, it, it, it was, became it, a challenge, actually. Became, it, it becomes almost an act of supreme will in order to change it because there is no joyful emotion behind the thought of challenging it yet right. that will assist you to get over that hump. So it's a complete struggle to try to change a habitual thought when you first encounter it. It's yes. not going to be fun. <laughs> That's the whole thing we do mentally when we begin not feeling well or we begin getting a sore throat or a cold or an upset stomach or whatever is happening. We just go down the spiral of, oh, Yes. And give into it. And because there is no joy in challenging the thought, it's like, I, as I said earlier, in for a penny, in for a pound. You, well, I've gone this far, I might as well go the rest of the way. Right. Yeah. And you give in to whatever sabotaging behavior and go full force on it. You know? Yes. Well, I think there's two sides to this. As, I, as I'm listening to the two of you speaking, two things come to mind. One is, yes, when you don't feel well or you feel unwell, you could do some self-talk for sure mm-hmm. and not own it, as you said, Ron, and that's very profound. And then there's the other side of it that says, I'm truly not feeling that great. Mm-hmm. And then that brings in the next level of now I feel guilty. And Martin, I think that's what you were touching on. Mm-hmm. I have all these meetings to be at. I have to be there. Therefore, I must be there. Mm-hmm. Well, say I agree with both of you in that you can work through them as much as you can. But then there's the other piece that I think of, and now I'm talking about now third piece, that says, I'm really feeling unwell. I'm not going to own this, but the fact of the matter is I feel unwell. Mm-hmm. And then that guilt comes in. So then we start to explain because we feel we need to justify mm-hmm. why we can't be at our best, why we can't be at a particular meeting, why we can't do a presentation or whatever. Uh-huh. That's the part that I'm, I'm kind of thinking about at, in this moment, thinking, wow, are we not personifying that feeling of sickness by trying to explain ourselves? Well, and, and, you're right, because in that instant identifying with the illness the illness is serving a purpose because ultimately the purpose is I don't want to go to work in order to challenge the guilt of not going to work 
you will, as I said, go overboard in for a penny and for a pound, but you will, by naming the illness, you're justifying your illness itself. Right. And I think that's why so many corporations and companies that we work for today mm-hmm. now say just right in say, I will not be in today, it's wellness day, as opposed to having to give credence to that illness. And I think that's a significant thought process. And I think it was well thought out in many ways mm-hmm. in that oftentimes, I mean, in 20 years ago, someone would write me as an employee or call me and say, I can't come in because I'm coughing, I'm sneezing, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the next thing. They're just perpetuating that because of, as you said in your article, Ron, about how our cells all hear that. Mm-hmm. Instead, isn't it more beautiful to just be able to say, I'm not coming in today. Today's a wellness day for me. Mm-hmm. And accept it. Yes. There is the other side of the equation, which I will throw in. It's a preventative in many ways. Is it quite often when we get a cold or a flu or something begins attacking our tissues in one way or another as a virus or a bacteria? Right. It's quite often allowed to do so only because our immune system is depressed. Right. If you have a healthy immune system, you would never have any of these things happen. One of the things that well, not one, but many of the one of the few things that causes a drop in your immune system is, of course, stress, mm-hmm. lack yeah. of sleep, mm-hmm. lack of proper eating. All of these things will can depress your immune system to where a virus or a bacteria can take over. Right. And it comes to balance again. We self-sabotage ourselves because we're not in balance. Mm-hmm. We push ourselves too hard. We stress about things that we really shouldn't be stressing about because a lot of it never comes to reality anyway. We self-sabotage through our own actions of not paying attention to all these things we all know. All these signals, Would yes. help us keep our immune system up, like sleeping, like eating properly, <laughs> all of it, <laughs> and just de-stressing. Mm-hmm. And we talk about meditation and other things you can do to de-stress. I mean, we talk about all these things endlessly. But it's sort of like a double-edged sword. Once you're not in balance and your immune system drops and then something begins to come in, then we give into it entirely and say, oh, my cold or my whatever. And, you know, I'm feeling horrible and it's, oh, I'm going to get, I just can tell this is going to get worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we go right down the route of just laying into it all. You know, when you, it's funny, though, when you just said that, the odd reason why people will say that is because they're feeling guilty that they have to take a day off. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah. And, and instead of just acknowledging, yes, I'm feeling under the weather today, I'm going to take a day off and pamper myself. Yes. Yeah. And it comes into what we've often talked about, self-love yeah. and self-forgiveness. I was actually in a meeting this week. And I, I heard these profound words that just so so much resonated with me. It was like, I was like going, oh, I love this. We were going down a path, as many of us do, where when you work really, really hard and diligent to accomplish something, mm-hmm. and we sent it out there, and we got some feedback. The feedback was very, very positive, but there were some niggly things that people brought up. There was a time when I would often hear, oh, well, that doesn't make any sense, or we did this because of this. We immediately go into defend mode. What I heard in the session I was in, which I was so thrilled about, 
was somebody stepped up to the plate and said, okay, I hear that. Let's us all give ourselves permission to change our minds. Mm -hmm. And then there was a little bit of silence. And it was like, no, really. Do we not give ourselves that latitude? And I think it comes back to that concept that I talked about earlier on with respect to guilt. Mm. We've worked so hard. We've done this. We tried our best. We wanted to make it perfect. Well, here you go. Mm. Give yourself permission and give yourself self-love. And don't beat up on yourself. Right. The one statement that you hear so many people say to others, and it's usually family-related and whatnot, but you should be ashamed of yourself. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And the answer to that should always be, no, I shouldn't. (laughs) Because you may have done something that you agree was not the best thing you could have done in retrospect. But you learned something from it. Yeah. There's nothing to be ashamed of. You learn something and you move on. But to put people down and tell them they're horrible because they did it, no, they're not horrible because of one little event in a 90-year life. It's just an event. Right. Forget about it. In day it goes, it disappears. Well, and that's and, what resonated with me, Martin, was this whole idea of we often talk about forgive yourself mm-hmm. and show yourself self-love. But this whole new concept of give yourself permission yes. just oh. took me to the next level, and I'm so appreciative of that. Yeah. And, well, that's what I'm getting at here, too, is you should be ashamed of yourself as a statement from someone else. Don't give in to it. Give yourself permission to change your thoughts about who you are and change your words about who you are. Recognize what occurred. Recognize that if you decide you, you wouldn't do that again and you learned something from it and then made something click to realize what you could, you might have been doing that wasn't to your best interest or someone else's, then change. It's as simple as that. Just change. It's true. We love to put other people down. And you're right, Karen. At the same time, we love to... If we're being, if we've worked on something so hard, and someone says something negative, we get into total defensive mode, mm-hmm. as opposed to just asking, "Okay, why do you think that?" Yeah, and move and, forward and talking it through, and then changing their mind. Maybe if if you're convinced that it it is done right, and maybe you never know, they might give you a point that will say, "Oh, you're right. That has to change." But it's conversation back and forth. It is communication. It is nothing to be defensive about. Exactly. And that's a big part of self-sabotage, too, is we let our ego get in the way. Well, another thing that I used to do, and I I try to, I say I used to do, because folks, I think I'm doing it a little bit better now, (laughs) but you guys can check me at the door if I'm not, and I welcome that, is I used to use humor Mm -hmm. in a negative manner. It was like, wow, I could say, oh, that was so stupid of me. Oh, how silly am I? How dumb was that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How ridiculous was that? And a friend caught me several years ago and said, why do you keep doing that? And I said, well, I'm just saying it in jest. No, you are speaking it out loud. And if we go back to the top of the hour, it's your thoughts, your words, your actions. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I was verbalizing time and time again, and I was using humor to get past what I felt were my inequities mm-hmm. and things that I had to get over instead of saying, oh, stop right there. Don't put yourself down. And to your point, 
it's a part of self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. And it self-feeds itself, too, because yes. when you go into um, negative humor like that, there's something you feel that other people have taught you you should be ashamed of. Exactly. I also find that self-sabotage is usually very unconscious, that it is not a conscious thing in that, as I said earlier, there is a devastating pleasure in the self-sabotage that will prevent you from even digging further behind why you're doing something. Mm-hmm. Good point. Habit, if you were to really look at why you did the self-sabotage, you would come to a better conclusion. As I said earlier, it's easier to say that you're a victim of something, an illness, when you're feeling down, and tell that to your boss or tell that to your friends in order to abstain from having to take responsibility for some action that requires you to to look into. As opposed to saying, I am feeling down. I know the reason why I'm feeling down is somewhere in my thought patterns that has led me to this condition. And I'm going to take some time off to try to figure that out. And quite often, the the time off is necessary for most people, I find, because they find themselves in a very stressful situation. Oh, yeah. It's been a stressful week or a stressful month or whatever it is. And the stress gets to you. You know you need to take a break from it and wind down that stress somehow. And a day off or meditation or whatever you want to do is usually the easiest way. So not... Feeling ill and not going into work is the perfect excuse. Well, also, if you were to avoid the illness altogether, mm. uh, you would actually have to deal with how do you deal with stress in your life? Yes. Do you allow the stress to take you down? Or do you manage your stress easily enough that stress does not lead you to illness? Right. Mm. Well, because as you said, it's almost subconscious. You're feeling ill, always, which is brought on subconsciously. Yes. And because you're ill, you won't go in, which is great. So that just works out better. And that could be on a personal level as well. I mean, there may be times when you're feeling that emotion and you say, gee, the phone's ringing and I'm going to let it go to voicemail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for the longest time, I would feel guilty about that. And now I'm looking at it saying, that's helping my greater health. You're in the middle of something. You've got something else to do. That phone call can wait. And the moment you step on the path of self-sovereignty, the moment you begin to embrace the authentic self, that's the moment when you truly begin to look at your thought patterns. You begin to meditate and you look at your thought patterns and you say, well, that was a nasty thing to say about somebody. Why would I say that? Or why would I stand silent and allow somebody to say that? Mm. These questions will only come to you once you have embraced the path of becoming your sovereign self or your becoming the spiritual warrior in your life. Once you become that spiritual warrior, that says to the universe and God, I'm going to dig into my subconscious mind and make it all conscious. There is no reason to have a subconscious mind other than the amount of denial that I have in my life has led to the creation of all of this subconscious material that I'm housing. And it, in its of in in of itself, is assisting and is most in is almost all one hundred percent the reason why we self sabotage ourselves. A lot of times, it's fearful to look at a lot of these things about ourselves, and so we'll deny. You've heard about denial. How, how many people will absolutely refuse to look at at a, a situation in their life, and so they keep pushing it away and they keep, continue to deny, 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 deny. Mm-hmm. That is what ends up creating 
the unconscious patterns in your in your psyche. When you decide you're going to become an, your authentic self, you begin to uncover all of those and you begin to look at the reasons why you end up sabotaging yourself and you say, okay, well, that's going to be a difficult pattern to change. It's going to be hard, but I know I can do it. Once you start down that road, the conditions surrounding that particular pattern will begin to lessen to a certain degree and eventually yeah. completely disappear. Exactly. Yeah. And we make up the grandest excuses for them. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I remember I had <laughs> for one. For sure. Uh, I had one friend who always had a real temper and got angry at things. Didn't just say they disagreed. They got angry at everything they disagreed with. Mm-hmm. And I said, why are you so angry at everything all the time? Oh, I inherited from my grandfather. He was angry all the time, and that's where I got it from. Oh, yeah. And I'm going, you think you got it from your grandfather? <laughs> Yes, it's in the genes, and you know, and it, 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 perfect excuse for not looking at it, not absolutely, it. absolutely. And and they tried to bring in genetics and this and that, and I'm going, really? I don't think that makes any sense. Of course, they got angry at night for that, but yeah. it is like interesting. And, and again, playing the victim in mm-hmm. in life absolves you from having responsibility to take ownership of anything. Yeah. To be fair, there is a lot of things that are ingrained into us from being a child. Oh, my God. Tell us, we shouldn't <laughs> self-love ourselves, we should be ashamed of ourselves, and we should feel guilty. Everything from yes. many of our religions, all the way up to, I said, through schooling, through parenting, through everything else, through, even as a kid, learning to do something. Kids right. will learn by pushing the barriers sometimes because they don't know the barriers. So the adults create barriers, the kid crosses it, and then they get yelled and scolded at and said they're horrible and everything else. And all they really were trying to do was figure out where their barriers were because mm-hmm. that's all children do. How much can I get away with? Because they don't know that they shouldn't be doing all that. But once you explain how it harms other people and how it's not good, they understand and they'll back off. But we don't. We just scold them and yell at them. Mm-hmm, right. And, and all, of the, all those sayings that you can't, you're not worth it, you, you're stupid, you're, you're this, you're that, you're this. Yeah. All of those are just simply an indication of our not wanting to look into these subconscious patterns that we have taken on hook, line, and sinker from whatever source. that could be our parents. It could be the clergy. It could be you know the voice of authority in, in a company, your older brother or sister. Somewhere down the line, you took on some of these ideas, and rather than challenge them at that time, they have become habitual patterns. Right. Yes. And, and the, the reality is, is that excuses do not help us to grow. No. Being chastised and using that does not help us to grow. So it's what do we do to expand ourselves to ensure that we don't allow these extremities? Because they're always going to exist. How do we keep ourselves balanced and centered so that we understand that our need is to grow and move forward? Well, uh, to me, it always comes back to two things at the heart of everything. Love yourself. Exactly. And change your thoughts about who you are. And mm-hmm. who you want to be. Most people, if they if they care to honestly look, and this is the thing, they have to look, they have to be aware, and they have to bring it to their mind. So they have to sit there and think about it. They have to be willing to look. Exactly. And why yeah. are they getting so angry all the time, or why are they doing whatever? And it's looking at that, recognizing where it came from. But it's primarily recognizing that it is not who you want to be going forward. That once you make up your mind doing that, then you can begin really working at it. But if you're not even willing 
to say you want to change it, well, then, of course, it will never change. Exactly. And uh, you have to own the, those pieces as well. Yeah. You know, I said there should be, there's no guilt or shame. Yeah, how many people do we know do all of these things, like all of us, all the time, from mm -hmm. our whole lives? We all do it. There's nothing to be ashamed of. It's who we are at the moment, but it doesn't mean you can't change. You can't change who you are and how you behave. So it's all a matter of just looking at it, becoming aware of it, working through it, and changing who you are and how you're mm -hmm. going to behave. And it is, in essence, simple once you begin to face it. Because once you recognize something, don't want to be it anymore and face it, yeah, you can change it. Of course you can. Once you're there, there's nothing stopping you but you. Right. And, and I think, if, Ron, if, you talked about in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. And you talked about the concept of when I start going down the slippery slope where I'm not doing what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I'm already there. I'm, I'm too far in. I'm just going to keep right on going. Yes, I, I'd rather indulge completely now. Yeah. yeah. And what we do know to be true is every moment is a moment of pure potentiality mm -hmm. so anything can change on a dime mm -hmm. so yeah. you know that was well said mark with respect to that that whole concept because we can change that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and you can change in the next instant yes yes this is your creative powers to be you're recreating yourself moment by moment by moment. Exactly. And yet when you find yourself not experiencing your complete your complete self and you're expressing your shadow self, you can once you've recognized that you can you can say no, not today. I'm going to do something that is going to steer me away from that repetitive pattern that's going to begin to break the habit. You right. might not break it completely at that time. And in fact, habitual patterns that are continuously denied over and over and over again for various reasons that are that change over and over and over again is like an onion. You might begin to get the surface layer of the onion, but then there are the deeper layers of the onion that will begin to surface for you at surprising times. Mm -hmm. So habitual patterns your first initial thought would be, I'm going to change that, and I'm going to stop it. And you might stop it for 12 hours. But then your resolve be can begin to weaken because the deeper layers of the pattern still are existing. They haven't been, re they haven't been looked at yet. Right. right. And it's difficult until we start going with the flow of it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's for, this is also where forgiveness, self-forgiveness comes in very handy. And permission. Yeah, because, yeah and, and allowing yourself permission. First, you forgive yourself for not dealing with the situation before the problem arose. Mm -hmm. Then you give yourself permission to do something that will begin the change. Yes. And if something always triggers you, there is a physiological build there that your neural network Mm -hmm. If you have a pattern that is continually mm. habitual and keeps repeating and repeating, yeah. those nerves in that pattern get stronger and stronger and it automatically goes along that route. Until you consciously begin to change that route and create another one, the more you work the other one, the stronger it becomes and the weaker the other one becomes. Right. So there is a physiological aspect to it as well. It does take perseverance, practice, and, and consciousness to get there. 
con- it, it takes a conscious effort. It really yeah. does. It's like it's like somebody had once said or, or described habitual pattern. The old albums, the the vinyl albums we used to have. Well, if you played something over and over and over again, sometimes you'd create a skip in the album. There'd be a little mm-hmm. diversion in the groove. This skip would continue. So you play it, and there the skip again. There's that skip again. There's that skip again. Mm. In order to clean the the skip, you had to reestablish the original groove pattern. And this is where it takes will. It takes an, a, a conscious effort at moving through the blockage that created the skip in the first place on the album. And that's the same thing with regards to your habitual pattern. Is you have to go through that blockage. And the way to go through that blockage is through conscious awareness. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's very true. It's it's interesting. Of course, the longer you let something go on, the more ingrained it will become. And that's when, and as I said, that's when the layer upon layer upon layer right. begins to happen. And, the, and it can get so pervasive that you have no idea where the first original thought was buried in a mass of repetitive layers. Therefore, it will take time in order to uncover all of those layers. That's where the work comes. That's This is where the spiritual warrior, the true work of the spiritual warrior is, and that is uncovering all of the layers until you get to the core or the root of the thought that created the, the situation in the first place in order to decide, is that working for me today, or am I going to change that thought to something different? Yes. That's what all about. Change your thoughts about who you are and you can change who you are. When I find as adults how we've overcomplicated the whole process, how often do we watch children and they've got it down pat and yet we overcomplicate it with our rules, our learned behaviors, all of those things that we experience throughout our lifetime create this great huge complication for us Mm -hmm. and if we could just kind of put ourselves back in that mindset of when we were children when the world was just our oyster Mm -hmm. what did that look like and it's vastly different there's the whole piece that comes into society too about how certain groups and certain peoples try and keep reinforcing the negativity right some religions say we're fallen creatures. We're, oh. we're naturally born sinners or what have you. And, you, know, you need sin. to come to us to get redemption. And it's like, yeah, right. Like, I know. We've been suffering from original <laughs> sin since, the, since the, the, yeah. dawn, the dawn of incarnating on this planet. Yep. Um, and we've been forced into feeling guilty about it. I mean, I look at the whole concept of Christianity and Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Christianity has often used that in order to inflict guilt on right. us, in order to make us feel worthless, in order to make us feel less than what we truly are in our divine self. Usually it's done with the aim, well, you know, I'm going to make you feel guilty because if I punish you enough with this guilt, you'll change your ways. We've had over 2,000 years of guilt for allowing Christ to die for our sins, and we're still sinning today, folks. Has guilt actually been a useful tool? It has not. It no. doesn't learn. It refuses to learn. You're here. Anytime you experience or feel guilt, it is a waste of time. Yes. Big waste of time. And yet it's reinforced for a lot of people, unfortunately, every week when they walk into that building, the church, or what have you. Mm-hmm. 
it's reinforced and they all sit there and nod. You're giving in to self-sabotage. You're giving in to that you're not divine mm-hmm. and you're not created in the image of God. You're mm-hmm. giving in to not being divine beings, which you are. It is such a seductive system that mm-hmm. most religions, and it's, it's interesting, it is so easy to get into the trap of mindlessly following religious protocol and religious traditions mm-hmm. without checking to see if that religious protocol or religious tradition has any value to you individually right in this moment. If, if it doesn't have any value, if there's no value in doing a certain thing, then why are we habitually doing it? Yes. Well, and that shows you why you shouldn't be habitually doing it. It takes somebody with a reason to want to challenge authoritarian status Mm. to be able to begin to change it for themselves. Yes. For me, in actual fact, it was acknowledging when I was a teenager that I was gay. Mm. And in so doing, at that age, I decided I was going to become an atheist. I wasn't going to follow religion any longer. And at that point, I began to challenge all the thoughts with regards to what religion had implemented, had put into my social memory matrix, my conscious mind. And I began to challenge that. But without acknowledging the fact that I was gay, I would never probably have chosen to challenge any of those ideas and more than likely would still be following blindly some of the religious protocols that no longer service. It's interesting that people, and maybe it's appropriate, in most of North America and Europe it is Gay Pride Month, in a way, June is the month Mm -hmm. of most gay pride parades, Mm -hmm. that people have taken, obviously, the two camps, that it's a sin and should be ashamed of yourself, and the other camp saying no. And what I find interesting after examining all of it is that there is nothing from my readings and understandings in the original texts that said being gay is an abomination, which is a phrase they use all the time. What they did was 200 years ago, or whenever the King James Bible came out, the, the sort of standard for translation, they translated that section as to say that being gay is an abomination. But now that we have you know, computers and thousands of more documents and can actually translate the original texts much more accurately, it brings into big questions that it doesn't mean that at all because there are many cases where it's used in the same context, but they didn't interpret it that way. So it told a lot of people that the men at the time who were doing this, and it was men because women weren't regarded as full people, don't forget, not that long ago, that the men were using their hates and fears about it to translate it as being an abomination, where it now doesn't translate as that at all. One of the things I often said is, how do you stick to a book once you know that it's been translated in error? Mm-hmm. Why has no one come out and retranslated it at all, given the information we have now from the original writings, and make it more accurate to what it actually said. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these hateful things, interestingly enough, like that one, drop out of the book altogether. But we've been so brainwashed into being told it's in there that we don't even question. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the problem, is we should begin questioning it because there's a lot of evidence, strong evidence and indication that it wasn't there at all. 
<laughs> and, and this is where I'm feeling most religious scholars and clergy and priests and and what have you are failing their flock miserably in that they themselves i mean it let's face it all of the religions contain passages and suggestions that i personally do not feel were from god period yeah that anytime it is a hateful suggestion or supports a hateful any kind of violent action of mm-hmm. any type whatsoever, I personally do not believe that that God itself. So here we have many of our religious texts that are containing what some of us believe are not from God, and yet it, it is so enforced in us that, from especially from these religious fanatics, that everything in those, in those texts is directly from God and cannot be changed. Mm-hmm. Right, and yet there are probably a good 15 or 20 different New Testaments that when you compare them from different Christian religions don't say the same thing at all. Hmm. And that's the other argument I've heard. Well, it's a book of God. God would never allow it to be changed. And I'm going, well, here's three of them, and these clauses are all quite different. How do you reconcile that? Which one's right, then? Oh, only yours. Oh, I'm sorry. You know. (laughs) Joan, this is interesting because from my perspective, there was a long time in my life where I probably was not sure if I believed in anything at all. And I will say today, without question, I absolutely believe in God. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. But will I align myself with any religion? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I don't is because I, I believe that if there's anything, as you said, Ron, if there's anything hatredly condemned within any sort of parables within yeah yeah, passages within i can't condone that i can't Mm -hmm. so from my perspective while i absolutely believe in god i believe it it comes from within we have to as humans and as humanity alike we have to pick and choose and i don't say pick and choose for what works for you but pick and choose for what feels right from the heart from the heart that says Am I coming from my heart center? Am I acting in a loving manner? Am I trying to perpetuate peace and justice, mutual help for one another of mankind? Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is the God that I follow. Mm-hmm. But does it follow any particular religion? No. I was raised Roman Catholic, quasi, born into Roman Catholic. I was confirmed Roman Catholic. Do I believe in everything that's written in the Roman Catholic religion? Absolutely not. But do I hold near and dear to my heart those portions that say I'm coming from my heart center? Absolutely, I do. Mm -hmm. These books, these books were originally supposed to lead you, the individual, to your sovereign self. Right. If they are not doing so, if they are not giving you back to yourself, Mm -hmm. These books are failing miserably, and this is where I'm saying the priests, the clergy, and those who are professing the importance of these textbooks, this is why they themselves are failing their flock of unconscious followers, Mm -hmm. because they're keeping their flock unconscious, Mm -hmm. professing that these books are to be followed verbatim. Well, there's a proponent of non-judgment. I think that's where I struggled all my life with religion. Mm-hmm. is the judgment factor. 
embracing myself in an environment and the friends and family that I choose to gather with, I choose non-judgment. I choose that proponent that says, we will come from a heart center. We will try to do what's best for you, I, and everyone else, because we are all one, mm-hmm. and move forward from that perspective. But when we start judging, and when we start putting rules and fear and guilt and all of those other things into play, that's where I get really skeptical. And that's probably my struggle with religion, as I well, put it. My struggle with religion has always been how people pick and choose mm-hmm. and use phrases out of context and even phrases that are known to be misinterpreted. The, for the one, hatred, for hatred, yeah, right, Martin? I mean, Not coming from your heart center. Right. I mean, there's two things that I always say when it comes to the Christian Bible, New Testament, for example. Judge not, lest ye be judged, is number one. So why are you judging people? Right. And the second one is, and I always say this, when Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments if we knew nothing else that everyone should obey? And they said, love God above all else and love thy neighbor. They were two based on love. So if you're not coming from love and they're the two greatest commandments how can you be living up to anything else in the book well I mean, it really i mean that just boils down to those simple things i completely agree and as we think about what we've talked about this evening from a connectivity perspective mm-hmm. when we talk about our thoughts and our our actions and our emotions and and what we say and what we do mm-hmm. that just personifies how we're all connected so if we're not coming from connection of love where are we coming from Mm -hmm. You know what? It's interesting. I just read an article the other day which suggested that Gnosticism was very pervasive during the time of Christ. Mm. And the one thing that I like about the Gnostic philosophy is that it basically says you don't need any connection between you and God. You have a direct line. You have a direct connection to God, so you don't need an intermediary, a priest, or anybody to speak on your behalf. Now, in in the Council of Nicaea, and I can't remember the actual year that this was done, when the actual canonized Bible was actually created, one of the reasons why a lot of what was proposed to be put into the Bible was based on Gnosticism, and the powers that be did not want allow the public that much control over their spiritual identities. It was around 600. No, it was something, 329 was three something three oh, okay. and I can't remember the exact date so forgive me folks I can't right now it was in the, somewhere in the 300 and something AD and that const uh, what was the Pope at the time const I can't remember even the Pope's name I will have to get back to you on the next show <laughs> I have to go back and research it it's not there at the tip of my tongue but but, but you're right that's something that a lot of people don't know there was a lot of script written about what the followers of Jesus said, including Mary and everyone else, and they cut out not only all the the female writings because Mary had like Mary that. had done an entire book which yes. was supposed to have been put in, yeah. and that was taken out. So they've distorted it so much deliberately. That's why I say, people, go back, look at the original translations, and let's get one written that yeah. actually is was the way it was written, and you'll find there's text that we should put be put in again that 
just colors everything most of us believe about our religions. Yeah. But barring that, mm. can we not? Because that will take forever. Well, they have it now. They really it would. It would they could probably put it all together. In a but I, so. I agree. It is <laughs> but a it will take forever to change people. So why can we not just direct ourselves from our heart center? Why can we not just say, "Is this good for me and you, and them, and us, and the greater good?" I, so, I agree. The greatest commandment yeah. is love. What I find interesting is there will be people, I mean, we have 7 billion people on the planet now. I'm certain that there will be people who will make it their commitment to go actual, go at, in actual, recreate the original texts, the sacred texts, the way they were originally written. And then there will also be a new group of people who will say, ah, there, yes, there, that'll take forever. Why do that? Why not just simply take the best out of all of these religions and create a brand new religion? One that's based only on love. And that's the other interesting thing about our self-sabotage is we have religions that are based on a text. Do you really believe that God has never spoken to us since that text was written? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, really? Do you think? <laughs> oh, and it's funny, you know, every point before a text, there's all these other texts and God has been speaking to us forever and Moses and blah, blah, blah and everything else. Mm-hmm. But no, it stopped. This is it. That's done. Never oh. spoke to us again. Again, that's like, really <laughs> a nasty product of religions telling us that we're not worthy of even listening or being spoken to by God. Right. God speaks to us every day and every. I was day. just gonna say that. I was just gonna say that, Ron. Oh, yeah. thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so true. He speaks to us all the time. So, see, this is where I'm saying these religious texts. They're supposed to, to, to guide an unconscious population into a totally conscious population. Once you're conscious, you don't need any of this. Once you've made your connection to your soul and your higher wisdoms, you don't need anything external to yourself to give you that wisdom. You've already got the wisdom inside you. It's not a manual. No. No. So I've always seen these religious texts, however, as being a religious, like a priest's tool in order to minister to his unconscious flock in order to bring them into a conscious self-awareness once he's done that he should have no, it's like the physician who or the the psychiatrist whose ultimate aim is to become jobless yeah at the end of the day we have to always always have to always respect where people are coming from mm-hmm. and i think if we have a pastor or a priest or whomever that truly has come from the heart center, then I say, go for it. Mm-hmm. If they are having a different agenda, then we need to recognize that. Be aware that they may be coming from the highest possible heart center that they have, but yes. if their core belief patterns still has, based on the religious text, if they still have core beliefs that reflect an inaccurate un- an untruth, even them by coming from their their highest center, their, their core beliefs will still hold much sway in their decisions. Mm-hmm. Fair. Yeah, absolutely. That's where our own free will comes into play, Ron. Yes. I think that's where we have to, as, as human beings, decipher mm-hmm. what is our truest value? What is, what is it we want to do? And it's a forever endeavor from the heart, as I've said before. Yes. You know, he, God does not condemn 
anybody for falling off the path. And in fact, he would not have created the possibility of falling off the path if it weren't something that he was allowing and intended on in the first place. Right. Because do you really believe there's anything God couldn't do? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I've said it, I don't know, probably every second program since I've been talking for the last year. And the one statement is, Jesus said, you will do greater things than I. What I have to ask people is, yeah. And when are you going to start? Mm -hmm. Because it's self-sabotage. It's Mm -hmm. falling into these false ideas that people are telling you of hate and not coming from the heart. I know. That is keeping us from doing greater things. I also look at it and say, compassion, forgiveness, hope, um, all of these wonderful things that can inspire would never have been created unless falling off the path in the first place would have created the circumstance that would actually create that. Yes. God would never know what it is to be hopeful unless part of his creation decided through the, through their act of will to fall off the path and to do something that in in, its, in itself, in order to come back to the path, hope was created. Yeah. All right. these illusions were necessary in order for the expansion of creator to know more of itself where he would not have known unless we had actually taken the path of uh, diminishing return, the path of sorrow. Right. And and what do we think about from a gratitude perspective? As humanity, while there's a lot of things that are going on around us that are devastating and there are people that close to us that might be ill or we see world events, but what is it in our day-to-day lives that we are truly grateful for? And how much do we give thanks for that? Mm-hmm. A lot and, of people don't. Yeah. Yeah. I encourage everyone, if there's something you're thankful for, it could be the flower on your patio. Mm-hmm. Be thankful because that breeds that love. Oh, it's, it's, it's another recognition of beauty. Mm-hmm. So go out and find a hundred beautiful things every yes. day. Mm-hmm. Yes. It will change your mind about what the world's like. Mm-hmm. And you'll see what it really is. It's beautiful. It, it'll, it, it will elevate your perception. Yes. It will. Exactly. It will. So this week, folks, for all of you that are listening, we're excited to see on our Facebook page the top three things that you are grateful for. Mm-hmm. Okay. The top right. three things. It could be anything from food on your table, mm-hmm. loving family. Mm-hmm. A place to sleep at night. place to sleep. Arms. Mm-hmm. Nose to smell. Do we give thanks for that? How often do we give thanks for those kinds of things? Yeah. Shoes on your feet. Shoes on your feet. There was a wonderful story. I know you both, you probably know it. There was a classroom of children who were asked to name the seven wonders of the world. All the kids were diligently writing away and working through, and one girl sat there just quietly looking at her like blank piece of paper. And at the end, the teacher said, well, what do you have? And someone, you know, said, oh, the pyramids, and oh, wonderful, and Niagara Falls, and oh, wonderful, and all this. And then they came to Jenny and said, what do you have written down? And she said, well, nothing yet. They said, why not? What do you consider the wonders of the world? And she said, they're all very good. But she said, I think what I'm going to write down is seeing, hearing, tasting, mm-hmm. feeling, mm-hmm. touching, 
Yes. And they all just went into dead silence. All the stuff <laughs> we take. Martin, all the stuff we take for granted and yeah. we ought not. Yeah. And apparently that was a true story. So out of children, the wisdom can come, I'll tell you. Because <laughs> they are wonders of the world. Well, you know, it's interesting, and I think, Martin, you put me on to this, so I'll give you full credit. Daily with my walks with Mocha, Mm. I give thanks for those things. Hearing, seeing, Mm. touching, Mm -hmm. lips, lips to speak, voice box. All of those things that we think that we just take so much for granted. And if they were gone, how would we feel? Any one of them disappears, and you know how devastating it is for someone. Well, yes. I mean, I remember having a broken toe mm. and walking was so incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. So I give thanks to my legs, my feet. Yep. I give thanks to my puppy. <laughs> it's about about feeling that emotion yes, and giving gratitude. Right. And that's what I was getting at. You can feel gratitude for many things that you are as well. And it's not just outside things, it's inside things as well. Mm-hmm. No, beautiful, Martin. And I hate to say it, but that brings us to the end of the program again. Oh, goodness gracious, it can't be time. <laughs> as always, it just zooms by when we're engaged. Yes. <laughs> so thank you, everyone, for listening in once again. I hope part of this brings some awareness and some thoughts to your mind that build you out to expand who you are and who you can be and more to your sovereign self and don't forget to go on our facebook page facebook.com forward slash sovereign self and on that i do indeed wish you all a very fabulous week i just want to end with a quote from the facebook article that i was talking about previously never own a disease reduce the amount of time that you talk about being ill refuse to allow illness a place in your consciousness good words of wisdom folks and have Have, a week have an amazing week folks enjoy thank you for listening to the sovereign self we will be back with another show that will celebrate the beauty and perseverance of you and your sovereign self if you would like more information or to send questions to martin karen or ron please go to their Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash Sovereign Self. See you next week.